I need Stephen to bring this up for me. It weighs about 100 pounds. <laughs> I am blessed to be with you this morning. That's a, that was a beautiful psalm. Thank you, Jessica and Glenn, for ministering to us. But this morning, I want to talk to you about building a context for healing today. And I recently posted a teaching to our Midweek Momentum uh, playlist where I shared about the context for healing that you find specifically in the Gospels. And I really wanted to kind of expand that so that we could see how that can be built within the church today. And the reason is, I want to see more healings and more miracles. We know that we need them. We all have friends, family, neighbors, even perhaps ourselves, in need of God's healing and miraculous and calming touch. And I want to see it not simply in the church, which is everywhere, but I want to see it in our church so that we can be a beacon not only to those who fellowship with us, but to our community of healing that is available from God. And God desires this even more than we do. Now, anybody who's even done a casual glance at any of the Gospels knows that there were many healings and miracles that occurred while Christ walked the earth. It would be easy to simply say that, well, you look at that and it's like, well, duh, he was Jesus and I'm not, so of course there was a lot more healings. That explanation is not something that Christ would have accepted. As a matter of fact, Christ commissioned us to do exactly what he was doing. And it's in John 14, 12 is one of several places, but we'll look at John 14, 12. Truly, truly, whenever Jesus prefaced the statement with truly, truly, that meant listen up. Now, we would look at back and say, well, Jesus says anything, we listen up. But when Jesus wanted you to listen up, he said, truly, truly. I say to you, not the guy next to you, whoever, pretty broad word, right? Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Jesus did not put limits on the miraculous and neither should we. Jesus even declared that we should go further than him. How's that for short circuit in your brain cells there? But that's what he said. And even though we have this promise, this declaration from Christ itself, we still are seeing less healings and miracles today than you would see in the gospel period. What's going on here? And this is, what I, this is the question I want, one of the questions I ask myself. What's going on here? First, let's consider the historical and cultural context in the Gospels to see how they might, that might bear on experiencing what they experienced. The first point I want to highlight is the context of Jesus himself and his personal understanding of who he was and what his mission was. He was very confident in his identity. God, this gave him a boldness to walk out with God knowing this is who I am, this is what I've been commissioned to do. Now, this is something that you and I can pursue as well. We can do this in our own lives and ministries. The scripture declares that we have Christ within us. We have also been commissioned. We've not been commissioned as the Messiah, but we have been commissioned as the Messiah's representatives and as his ambassadors which means we have been empowered to carry out his mission as though he were standing in front of somebody. 
We have the power of the Holy Spirit born within us. And we are children of God. This, these are all truths that cannot be altered or changed. You cannot lose these realities. But you can lose sight of them. And what we want to do is ask God to show you. Ask God to teach you to, so that you can understand your identity. Because you've picked up an identity over the course of your life. And some of those things that we've picked up are good. You know, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father. Some of those things that we've picked up over the years were less good. But they're all in the past. I have a new identity. The greatest switch in identity that I really remember uh, in studying history was when Harry Truman became president. Okay, Harry Truman was one of those vice presidents who was, he was a mushroom vice president. He was kept in the dark. Okay, he did, even though World War II was going on, he knew very little about it. He, knew, he didn't know anything about the atomic bomb. He knew very little about the strategies of it. All of a sudden, FDR dies. Guess who's president? Harry Truman. And he was given a new identity. And he was given that identity by the Constitution of the United States. And you know what he did? He boldly walked into it. Now, if a man can walk into an identity that some human piece of paper gives him, how about you and I walking into an identity that God's holy word has given to us? God has declared that you are his son or daughter. Christ has declared that you're his brother or sister and friend. So we can pursue our mission just as Jesus Christ did. And that mission includes making disciples and it includes healing the sick. Now, so that's one context for healing in the Gospels. Jesus knew who he was. The next context for healing I want to focus on is the context of faith for healing, believing that healing was there and ready, and you see this throughout the gospel period. It had spread throughout all of Israel at the time that Jesus walked the earth. Now, ultimately, faith is the context for all healing, but let's look at how great this faith for healing was at the time of Jesus Christ, and then we're going to consider well, how can that be replicated today? Luke 6, 17 says, And he, Christ, came down with them and stood on a level place, and a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people. So he had disciples, which meant they had heard some of his teaching and decided to stick around. But then you also have multitudes from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. These people had to walk. This is like Jesus is teaching in Milwaukee. <laughs> Let's walk there. This is, what, this is what's going on. And they came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. They heard and they were healed. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits, they were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out of him and healed them all. Now, how did this happen? How were these people so primed? These multitudes who weren't disciples, they were primed to be healed. If we don't understand what was going on in Israel at the time of Christ's ministry, we may simply just shrug our shoulders and say, well, yeah, well, he was Jesus. And that is what the church has said for about 1,700 years. The other thing the church has said, okay, yeah, there's occasional healings, but I'm not holy enough to do that. See, we're always, giving, we're always being talked out of what God says is available. The message of the Gospels 
is not that was then and this is now. That's not the message of the Gospels. What was then is now. That's the truth, and even greater, that's the truth of the gospel. So let's consider this audience that was so receptive to Christ and so ready to receive healing. When he ministered in Israel, the vast majority of Jews in Israel at this time were looking and longing for the Messiah and expecting that he would come. This Messiah would not only deliver them from their enemies, but they knew that it was prophesied that he would heal them of their diseases. This was their knowledge. This was their expectation. This expectation had been growing, and at the time Jesus walked the earth, it was widespread. Now, you may be thinking, okay, I'm following you, Bob, but we're not Israel, and people today are not looking for a Messiah. True on both counts. But people are looking for relief and deliverance. People are longing to have a spiritual part of their lives filled. They just don't know it's Christ yet. They don't understand that it's the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that can do that for them. But that same longing exists in all of our neighbors. It exists in all mankind. Without God, we are, people are incomplete. They try to fill it with other things, but we're incomplete without God. Another context for healing in the Gospels, which is overlooked at times, was the very successful ministry of John the Baptist. His ministry is described in all four Gospels. Not many things make it into all four Gospels. Only very important things make it into all four Gospels. The resurrection comes to mind. John the Baptist made it into all four Gospels. His ministry was one that changed Israel and prepared them for the Messiah. Without understanding the role that God had for John, you will not understand why so many people in Israel were ready for the Messiah. And John preached repentance, which is what most people remember about John. He preached repentance, which meant he was talking to Jews who had made a covenant with God and had wandered from it, and he's calling them back to that covenant. But in addition to repentance... What John did was he identified Jesus of Nazareth as the Lamb of God, the Messiah. The Jews were longing for a Messiah that had been building. John said, this is the guy. And John's ministry had spread throughout all of Israel. When you put these contexts together, a population that had been primed to expect great things from their Messiah, and then John the Baptist universally recognizes a prophet except from the big shots in Jerusalem, everybody else recognized he was a prophet. This one identifies Jesus of Nazareth as the Lamb of God. What you have then is a context for the miraculous, and that is what you see in the Gospels. Now, you might hear this and say, okay, Bob, I get it. I understand what happened then, but what about now? We live in a culture that by and large rejects God, and we don't have a prophet wandering around like John. Don't go there. Don't go there. In Acts, and I'll tell you this, because now I'm talking about the Gospels. Acts was a different story. Acts also had great signs, miracles, and wonders. But when the church went out into the Gentile world, there was no John the Baptist out in that Gentile world. There was no history of looking for the Messiah out in that Gentile world. Not in Ephesus, the greatest movement of Christ outside of Jerusalem. 
What was going on? These, the apostles and the early disciples were able to reproduce a context for the miraculous in a culture that was pagan. We can do that. You're saying Rome was more pagan than we are? I'm not sure I could go with that. We can do the same today. We have tens of millions of ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have John. We've got tens of millions of people who have been commissioned and empowered as his representatives. We, each and every one of us, has more power than John had. We can still do the works of Jesus Christ and build a context for healing today just as it was built in the Gospels and Acts. And if we're going to see that, we need to build faith first within ourselves and then in the wider world. And I want to show you a single verse that shows the progression between, let's say, ignorance and unbelief to having great faith in God. It's all in a single verse. Jesus Christ spoke the evening that he was about to be betrayed. It's in John 17, 8. It says in verse 8, For I have, Jesus is speaking, I have given them the words that you gave me. First thing Jesus did was he gave the word of God. And they received them. Okay, when you hear something, you got to think about it, right? They received it. They welcomed it. And have come to know. There's the next step. They hear, they receive, they come to know. They get an intellectual understanding in truth that I came from you. And then finally, they have believed that you sent me. See that kind of progression there? From ignorance to belief. All faith starts with hearing the truth. In this case, hearing the words that were spoken from God by Jesus Christ. But that's only the start. We have to decide that what we hear is worth believing. We decide that it's true, and then we finally get to the place that we believe it. And to believe something is not an intellectual exercise. Too often we we speak of believing, and what we're really saying is, I recognize something is true. Recognizing something is true is not the same as believing. Pretty much every Christian recognizes that the Bible is true. That's not a stretch for Christians. But to believe it means that we are so confident in the truth of God's word that we act upon it, that we change our lives and the direction of our lives because of what it says. And this progression was not meant to be an intellectual exercise. In fact, if it's an intellectual exercise, it will be powerless. And when you look at parts of the Christian world that are powerless today, but they have great doctrine, it is because they don't have great faith. They have great knowledge, but not great faith. God has given us something more. Not just knowledge, but power. He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit. This also was a context for the healing that we see in the Gospels, and we can have it today. More Holy Spirit available today than there was during the Gospels. All Christian men and women are born again of God's Spirit. That was not possible during the Gospel period. In the Gospels... The apostles were not Christian, okay? That wasn't available yet. It was before the resurrection. Here's how the church spread to the non-Jewish world. Again, this is a great context because they faced a world every bit as ungodly as we do. And in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4 and 5, Paul says, Corinth was a city in Greece, 
My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith, that what you believe, might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. See, now this is, this is what Paul is doing during the church age. It's exactly what went on during the gospel period. In John 2.11, this is the first miracle. You know, it says in John, many people are familiar with the verse in John that says, many other signs did Jesus, and if you know, you'd write them all down, all the books in the world wouldn't hold them. John says that at the end of his gospel. In his gospel, John records seven particular signs that Jesus did, and he presents those seven as the open door for us to accept Christ as Messiah. The first of these was to turn water into wine. And in verse 11 of John 2, it says, This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now, these are his disciples. They already liked what they were hearing, or they wouldn't have been disciples. They wouldn't have been following him. They believed in him. What what does that mean? They believed him to be the Messiah. That's what it's talking about. They already believed him as a rabbi. You were a disciple of a rabbi. This has taken it to another level. Not only did this miracle cause his disciples to believe, but the testimony that those pre- the testimonies that those present carried out to the nation of Israel, that caused multitudes of others. That's why people showed up in that plain, multitudes, because they had heard of what Jesus had did. Testimonies of God's power and his goodness provide a critical context for healing and for giving glory to God. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 4. See this a little bit further. What Jesus Christ was doing and what we can do as well. In verse 23 it says, Jesus was going throughout Galilee, which is in the northern part of Israel, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom of God standing before them. Not simply the covenant of Moses, but something new was coming, this kingdom. And healing... Every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread among the people. This is spreading to people who didn't hear it or see it themselves. They heard it in a testimony. And they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. This is a huge circle of people who had to walk to hear this guy. What would get you to walk to downtown Chicago tomorrow? That's what, 30 miles from here? A lot of these people came from further than 30 miles. Jerusalem was over 60 miles. What would get you to walk 60 miles to hear something? Obviously, what they heard about what Jesus was doing prompted them to get up and move. When people hear what Jesus Christ has done in your life and how your life is impacting and healing others, they'll hop in their car to drive 60 miles. Seeing and hearing of God's power and action builds faith in people, even those who were not Christian, even those who had not accepted Jesus as Messiah. You know, the church grew in the first two to three centuries of its existence because the power of God was still believed and practiced and healings were still commonplace. Think about it. Why would a pagan Roman decide to convert 
to a religion that was at best marginalized and at worst illegal and persecuted. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to take my status and give it up for that? Makes no logical or reasonable sense unless you see the power of God. You know, to this day, today there are many Muslims, you don't hear about this because the news doesn't cover it, many Muslims are turning to Jesus Christ. In virtually every case, they are turning to Christ not because of a superior presentation of the gospel, not because persuasive words were spoken to them, but because they saw a healing or a miracle. That's what is causing Muslims. And you know, in the Muslim religion, if you convert to Christianity, like that's a death sentence. What would, what would cause you to embrace a death sentence from your own family? Not a good argument. Not a better philosophy. But a sign, miracle, and wonder. That is worth believing. That is worth betting my life on. Now, today, we still have signs, miracles, and wonders that are available today. We don't see them as often. They're still just as available. But two that we see frequently that are listed. There are four things called signs in the New Testament. Two of them, which is the interpretation of tongues and prophecy, are available anytime the church gets together. In fact, church is a very liberal where anytime you get two or three believers together, you can hear from God. That is a sign. We have it, that we have it every Sunday here. We do it at our, when we start at 9.30 in our time of prayer. We have the opportunity to see this sign of God's power. But then the power of the Holy Spirit also brings healing. And when people see that, when you see something, I still remember the first fellowship that I went to. Very first fellowship, I was 17, probably stoned. And I went there and they had speaking in tongues with interpretation. Now, I was raised in a you know, Christian home. I'd never heard, even heard of speaking in tongues. I saw that it immediately arrested my attention. It was a sign Hey, something is going on here that didn't happen at my church last Sunday. What is it? Got my attention. That's what signs do. Healings are signs. Miracles are signs. They get people's attention so that they focus on the gospel. The point isn't the miracle. The point is the gospel. Now, hearing testimonies is like a second hand of that. Like if if Steve Carter gets healed... Okay, he gets healed and his sister Janny goes back to Colorado and tells people about that. Well, they weren't here to see Steve get healed, and, but Janny is giving them that testimony. They rejoice in it. In fact, we heard a testimony at our opening meeting, at our uh, servants meeting this morning, about someone who got healed. I don't know even who this person is. I rejoiced at it. And it inspired me. The more healings that Jesus and the disciples did, the more people who came to be came in faith to be healed. It kind of steamrolled. Now, there's additional, an additional way I want to talk about building a context for healing and seeing faith grow in people. And that is through receiving and experiencing revelation. Now, revelation is just a word that means when God tells you something that you do not know by your five senses. Because God knows everything, right? You don't, God does. So he can tell you things you need to know. And God sort of puts these in three broad categories. He might tell you something, it's called word of knowledge, where he gives you information that you don't know. He also might give you wisdom. When you don't know what to do about something, he can tell you what to do. 
And also God can give you revelation about the invisible spiritual realm, both good and evil, that is in the world today. And this builds faith. Receiving revelation and having revelation given to you builds faith in general and for healing in particular. Now, an example of that, Garrett gave this last week. If you, didn't hear, if you weren't here, look at his teaching from last week because he described a great healing that occurred in South Africa when a, where a deaf woman, deaf woman was healed. And the way that happened was through revelation. There was a group, Garrett was in a group. We were all sent out to go uh, let God show us who to pray for. And God showed one person in the group a picture of buildings. God showed another person a paisley outfit. This is revelation. So they said, okay, whatever God wants, it's going to have something to do with buildings that look like this and a paisley outfit. So they went driving around, and then they saw the building. The guy who got that vision said, that's the building, that there. And who was walking out? A woman with a paisley outfit on. So what did that revelation do to that group? It built their faith. They said, okay, this is good. God showed us this. Here we are. Something's going to happen. And then when they talk to that woman, Garrett hops out. You know how Garrett is. He's so low-key. Um, so Garrett, Garrett hops out and talks to the woman. And when this woman began to hear how God had a hand in connecting this group of people with her, what do you think that did? It built faith, right? She got healed. And her daughter as well. Her daughter was prayed for as well. The daughter was in the hospital. It was a grandmother and a granddaughter, I believe. Now, I'd like to give you a brief overview of how you can receive revelation. Because for me to tell you about it is one thing. I want you to go out and leave here today. Don't even leave here today. God can start talking to you now. Uh, I want you to understand how simple it is to hear from God. This is not something spooky or like for the uber-spiritual, like, oh, I'm going to hear from God. No, no, no. God is very natural. God is very natural in his talking to you. You know, my wife doesn't. I don't say, ooh, now I'm going to hear from Susan. So, am I going to pay for that comment? <laughs> revelation, again, revelation is God talking to you, okay? Like, you don't like that word, too big a word, God talking to you. God designed your brain. Your brains are stuck inside your head, right? How, how does information get into that brain? By way of your five senses. This is how God brings information into our brains, into our minds. God's spirit dwells within you. It's been placed within you. It permeates your entire being. It is his eyes behind your eyes. His ears behind your ears. His heart behind your His spirit permeates you. At this very moment, you're sitting there with the spirit of God infusing your entire being. Think about that. It's a pretty awesome idea, isn't it? So, God can symbolize revelation to you by using one of these five senses because that's how your brain was designed to receive information. And who do you think designed it to receive information? God. Okay, so, five senses. First one, seeing. God can give you an image. In the example Garrett gave us last week, it was an image of a set of buildings and a paisley outfit. That was an image that they saw. God can also give, at times you read it in the scriptures, I've never experienced this, but a panoramic vision. I think about that. The book of Revelation was mostly a panoramic vision that God gave to John. Okay, And the way I kind of think about what God did with John or what God did with Peter, 
uh, on the rooftop when he saw heaven open and animals walking around. I just think of that as like virtual reality. God plopped them in there like they were just a part of this scene that was going on. You see it as though you were really there. And uh, so you can see Revelation. You can read. Sometimes God might put words there for you to read. You know, God can do anything. Anything that can, you know, uh, stimulate your eyes, God can put in front of them by Revelation. Hearing is another one of our five senses. And you can hear from God. Now, audible to you, but rarely to others around you. I have only experienced this on a very few occasions. The most memorable one was when God had to contradict me. I was talking to someone, uh, and they were asking me a question, and Bob's informed uh, answer to that question was no. And I was in the midst of explaining my no when God said yes. And I heard it in my ears. Now, the person I'm talking to didn't hear anything. They're still looking at me. And wonder, you know, it's like, okay, no, wait a second. Yes, that's the answer to that. So I heard that. That hasn't happened to me where I've heard it like an audible voice only a very few times, but it's something that's available in Scripture. Smelling. You smell something, but it's not a real aroma that's in the air. It's not an actual smell. Often smell is a way that God might symbolize to you the presence of an evil spirit because they're unclean. And unclean things smell, right? So that might be a way God could symbolize to you. And again, uh, once you, and here's something about Revelation. Once you recognize it, often it just stops. God just wants you to recognize it. Great, then the smell goes away. And nobody around you smelled it anyway. Tasting, another one of our five senses. The prophets in 2 Kings tasted that the stew was poisonous. It wasn't a particular, you know, poison flavor. This seasoning we use today, they just, God just showed them as soon as they put it in their mouth, this is bad. It smelled good cooking in the pot, but God showed them by taste that it was bad. Fifth of our five senses, touch or feeling. Now, often we associate feeling with our skin, okay, with our fingers, we're feeling something, and that's true. You can feel something from God. I have... Uh, at times I, I have experienced uh, where when someone was ministering to me or I was ministering to someone else that they felt a tingling or a warmth when God was doing something. And you know what that revelation did? It built faith in that person. Do you feel, you know, my shoulder's getting warm. That, that revelation built faith in them to receive the fullness of their healing. Another way that, uh, that healing by touch or feeling can operate, especially in the context of healing, is God might give you a sympathetic pain that somebody else has. And again, like, oh, great, you know, my rib cage is really sore. I didn't hurt my ribs. And you know, my experience, like, I, mean, I can't read to this to you in the Bible, but when, as soon as you recognize it as revelation, the pain stops. And if that happens to you when you're praying for somebody, ask them, hey, Glenn, your ribs hurting? And when he says yes, and he knows that God showed me that, that's revelation, and what do you think that builds in him for healing? Faith. The other way, and this is the most common way, I don't know exactly how to describe this, the most common way I've received revelation, and when I talk to people, it seems to be the most common way God speaks to them, is God simply drops a thought into your head. God simply drops a thought into your head. I'm not talking about the way our minds, you know, wander around. 
I'm talking about God just dropping a thought in your mind. I see this happen for myself. I experience it most when I pray or when I am ministering to someone or when I'm just looking to God in praise. But God can talk to you at any time. God is, and here's the thing about learning to recognize revelation. You know, it's one thing to ask God. Like if I'm standing, for, I'm standing before Patrick and he asked me to pray for him. Well, obviously I'm talking to God about that. I'm expecting that that's a, that's a time that you would hear from God. God also has a lot of things he wants to tell you that you're not expecting. Because you don't know what you don't know. And God needs to tell us things. So when I'm praying for someone, I always ask God what he would like me to do. His response can contain any of these ways that God might talk to me. And this is easier than you might think. And it builds a context for healing and faith. Revelation helps build faith, and faith is the ultimate context for healing. So let me summarize some of the things I've talked about. I'm not gonna, I don't number them. I, I, I'm not a big fan of the, these are the five easy steps to this, or the ten steps. I don't know, you can count how many they are. But uh, I just want to share with you some principles about building a context for healing today as we saw in the Gospels. First, it starts with a mirror. Ask God to work within you to better understand your identity in Christ. Let's become a people that every step we take, we know it's Christ in us. Second, begin wherever you are. Begin wherever you are. If you understand how to speak in tongues, speak in tongues. That'll build you up spiritually. When you hear interpretation and prophecy, recognize and remember what that really is and the sign that it is of God's love and power. Look for revelation. Expect God to talk to you. Don't just jump in. Wait and listen. Let Get some instructions. The more you seek to hear God's voice, the more you will recognize it. And then God can talk to you at unusual times. And then I want to encourage you, put yourself forward to pray for people. You know, even strangers, I've, I've prayed for many strangers, because I've discovered that when you start talking with someone, it's not long before they tell you their problems. Ever notice how people will tell problems to like total strangers? Okay, when somebody starts saying that to me, would you like me to pray for you? I have never had anybody turn me down. I've never had anybody turn me down. Maybe some of them might have just been polite, but they haven't turned me down. The more you pray for people, the more you will learn how to walk with God and the more people who will get healed. And talk up what God has done. Testimonies are not about you or about the person who got healed. Testimonies are about God. If a testimony doesn't point you at God, it's just ego. That's not what we're after. Tell people what God has done. And then, I just want to remind you, Jesus didn't start with crowds, okay? He started with two or three. Then it built. He taught. He ministered. And then, finally, multitudes were following him. Invite people to come here and see and experience God's deliverance. Don't be shy about telling somebody, you can come here and you can experience God's deliverance. Because we believe that. That's what we're looking for. And I want to close this morning with communion. If you could pick, you each have a little cup which has a bread wafer on the top. Well, look at this. I got it open this time. Sometimes I'm not so good at that. 
During the Gospels, people were looking forward to Jesus. And we now are not looking forward to his coming, but we're looking back towards what he has accomplished and what we currently have in our life. Communion helps us remember this. And many times I think Christians take communion without much conscience of what it really is all about. Okay, yeah, I know the, the wine, or in this case, grape juice, is his blood, represents his blood. The bread represents his body. But I talked about Revelation this morning. I want you to, when you take communion, look to God. Ask him to show you what he wants you to think about in your relationship to him. What he wants you to consider regarding what Christ has done for you. Because his, our redemption touches every part of our being. What part of that being does God want you to think about today? Healing is very common. And that might be what he talks to you about. Forgiveness. We know that Christ died for our sins. But do we personalize it? He died for my sins. He died for the boneheaded thing I did last week. And that's forgiven. We know that God forgives us. Sometimes in communion, God just leads me to forgive myself. So I'm going to pray. And when I finish, take first the bread and then the wine. Okay? Father God, I give each of us here to you today. I thank you that we can sense your presence at this very moment. I ask you, God, to touch us with an awareness of you in our lives. And we are thankful for Jesus Christ. And God, I ask you that each and every one of us would get a picture from you of some aspect of our Redemption that you want us to consider at this moment. And I do this in Christ's name. Amen. We can build a context for healing and hope, not only for our fellowships, but for our communities and for the world. God bless you. Thanks, Bob.